Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We, we all, all share, share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. Welcome back to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine about the latest environmental news happening across Maine. I'm your host, Colin Durant. Now, as you may have noticed, we took a brief hiatus, but we're now we're back at it. So thanks again for joining us. And I'm looking forward to bringing you even more conversations with Mainers from across the state about how we're working together to build a healthy environment and strengthen local communities. So there's no better way to come back with it than with the all-star guest we've got joining us today. Dr. David Reed Miller is the inaugural Climate Center Director at the Gulf of Maine Research Institute, where he works to ensure coastal communities can thrive in a warmer world. He's a sought-after scientific scientific expert on how our changing climate is impacting Maine, what we can do about it, and we're so thrilled he can join us. Thanks for joining us, David. Colin, thanks for having me. I want to take you everywhere with me with that kind of introduction. (laughs) Sounds good. We'll take it on the road. (laughs) Um, So I invited David uh, to the podcast because I really wanted to center us in what the latest science is telling us as Maine and the nation face lots of choices about what to do about climate change and specifically how to address the growing climate impacts we're facing uh, and because that science is stark, but but there's also a lot of hope, especially here on the ground in Maine, where people are coming together to come up with climate solutions in their local communities. Much of this was laid out in what was called the Fifth National Climate Assessment, released just before Thanksgiving this year. And that's what I really want to dig in today. That's what we're going to be talking about today. David, I first just wanted to get started by hearing a little bit about your work at GMRI's Climate Center and the work that, you know, you do with coastal communities. Yeah, sure. So, you know, folks probably know GMRI quite a bit for our work on on kind of fisheries science, fisheries ecology, fisheries management historically. Um, And over the past several years, there was a growing recognition that, you know, there was a lot of climate related work going on across the organization. And so, I was brought on board to kind of integrate a lot of that work and and figure out how we can support, you know, the vitality of these coastal communities um, as they grapple with climate change. And so what we're doing is is really co-developing climate services with coastal and marine stakeholders. And so that could mean, you know, municipal officials, it could mean small business owners, it could mean uh, working waterfront, you know, uh, wharf operators, you name it. And we do it through... Uh, a science engagement solutions framework. And so, you know, we're we're doing the basic research to understand, you know, how climate science is manifesting or climate impacts are manifesting here in the region. We also have a deep commitment to kind of community and stakeholder engagement, um, not just to sort of raise awareness about what those impacts are, but importantly, to sort of facilitate a process that people can sort of think about, okay, well, what are the implications? What are the response options? What are the trade-offs associated with them? And ultimately then start to help um, understand what those different solutions are, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how are we going to pay for them? Uh, so that's really what we're in the business of doing. And it's been just a, a ton of fun to engage in the 140 plus coastal communities throughout the state to do just that. I bet. I bet. Those coastal communities, all communities across Maine, we're not going to play favorites. Are, <laughs> that's fair are enough. Fair enough. Really, yeah. <laughs> are really fabulous. And I love that combo of, of 
solutions informed by science and informed by what works for the community. And, yeah. and you bring up a great point about trade-offs too, like make really intentional decisions about we want how we want to address climate change, what we want our future to look like. That's yeah. great. Um, now you came to GMRI after serving in a variety of senior roles in the federal government on climate change in the White House elsewhere. Can you just talk a, a little bit about those and how that experience informs your work work today? Yeah, you know, so I, I was a, um, uh, a climate negotiator at the State Department. So I was part of the, the Paris Agreement negotiating team. I led the U.S. Uh, negotiations on science and technology in that context. And then um, uh, was brought into the White House at the very end of the Obama administration to lead the fourth national climate assessment, um, which obviously transitioned into the Trump administration. Um, and I'll come back to that in a second because there's a, a very helpful piece about how that informs what I do today. Um, and I also um, uh, kind of led uh, uh, a couple of regional centers within the U.S. Geological Survey called the Climate Adaptation Science Centers that worked a lot with state fish and wildlife managers to figure out how we can support fish, wildlife, and habitat um, adapt to, to climate change. And so there's a variety of different roles, um, you know, and, and I think in there's a couple of different ways that that's kind of informed how I think about working on these issues at a much more local level now, right, after working at mm -hmm. sort of the UN and, and federal level. One is always keeping in mind kind of the global perspective that, you know, there are um, countries, populations, communities around the world that are far worse off than we are. And I think it's really important to to remember that, even though we have, you know, oftentimes really um, uh, uh, kind of challenging situations domestically, um, that climate impacts uh, are manifesting in ways around the world that are even more stark than they are here. Mm. Um, I think the other, one of the other really important things that, that I didn't quite appreciate fresh out of grad school as an atmospheric scientist, um, was that science is just one consideration in the policymaking process, mm. right? You know, used to think that, oh, well, it's clearly just an information deficit. If these legislators just knew the impacts, they would obviously, you know, respond, right? Well, right. Like, no, not quite, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, that plays out in, in a number of ways. And um, so I think, you know, the other piece I'll just say is that um, having worked, you know, internationally and, and, and at the federal level, you have both a really strong network of experts uh, around the world and across the country that you can lean into to kind of mm. harvest kind of best practices um, to, to really affect change here locally. But also, um, you know, you can learn from, from people to think about what types of, of solutions are working and, and just as importantly, what's not working, right? So right. we don't make, you know, kind of inefficient investments uh, that'll lock us in for, for decades to come. Nice. Wow, GMRI in Maine is lucky to have that experience here. We appreciate it and love that perspective. Um, you know, as you mentioned, while you were at the White House, you you led the process of developing that fourth national climate assessment. We're mm -hmm. going to dig into the fifth national yeah. climate assessment. Don't worry, everybody, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you know intimately what it takes to make a big report like this happen. I wanted to really talk about um, you know, what it takes to put together these climate assessments and yeah. why a report like this, like why even do it? Why is a report like this important? Right. Well, 
the first reason is because it's required by law. So that, there's there's that, right? So there's, there you go. That'll do it. <laughs> there, there's something called the Global Change Research Act back in 1990, which anecdotally, I, I love telling the story because it's a piece of legislation from 1990 that uh, uh basically mandated that we um you know do a bunch of climate work in the federal government and it was passed like 98 to 2 in the senate so just imagine wow. that you know these days right um but you know i think there's there's a couple of things one is that it's an entirely voluntary effort right and so you go out and you recruit we recruit you know literally hundreds of experts from across the country you know, in every sector of the American economy and well-being, whether it's public health or mm-hmm. the electrical grid or fisheries management, um, and basically ask them to kind of sign up for a multi-year process um, <laughs> to write what will end up being basically a 2,000-page tome of what we know about climate science in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it is trying to, you know, build goodwill and, uh try to make the case that there's value in people participating in this exercise. And, and there really is, you know, just from a networking standpoint and just kind of yeah. being a part of, of what everything's going on. Um, but then there's also kind of the behind the scenes piece, right, of, of kind of managing the clearance of this report through multiple rounds of, of public comment, interagency review, mm-hmm. external peer review from the National Academies. And, and this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about bridging the Obama and Trump administrations, you know, there was very clearly a, a, a different priority placed on climate issues between those two places. And being a, a career civil servant, you know, you you kind of take an agnostic approach to that and just say, look, I've got a job to do and I, I got to do it. But it really forced me to kind of flex my muscles about, OK, how do I talk about this in ways that are going to be resonant with the recipient mm-hmm. audience? Right. And that lesson has become very valuable in working in different communities, you know, throughout Maine, you know, everybody's got sort of a different perspective and, and you want to just respect that and, and not come in with this top down, like, I know what what's going on here and, and I'm going to yep. tell you that it's more of like, no, you know, let me meet you where you are and figure out how we can move, move along together. Yep. Yep. I love that. Um, <clears throat> Because it never, you know, what 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 we're inspired by or what message of works for us, it's not going to work for everyone. That's such a great, yeah. great point and something we certainly think a lot about here at NRCM as a statewide organization, right? Like you're working on the yeah. coast, you're working in Western Maine, you're working up in Aroostook or totally. Washington County, very different, yeah. very different challenges, very different priorities. And so you mm-hmm. have to think about, um, you know, I know our climate team just met up in Aroostook. Um, just to listen to folks up there, supporters up there and meet with like the community college up there that's doing mm-hmm. turbine training and stuff. But you hear, yeah, yeah. you hear stories like, you know, there, I mean, everyone who lives there knows, but you, you know, you, you make often make trips to Bangor. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking about a solution like an electric vehicle or electrification of transportation, you know, you think through it that you think of it through that prism. Whereas, you know, we're here in Southern Maine, like my trip might be two miles and I'm like, Oh, it makes it right. And so it's different anxieties. And so, so I just, I love that point. And like I said, it's something, I think everyone, it's like a great, really, it's a great thing for everyone to think about when talking about climate or environment. You know, it really is. And I'll just, you know, just to put a finer point on that. One of the, you know, community engagement is such a central aspect of our work in the climate center at GMRI. And 
we really start all of that almost always with a conversation around values. You know, we don't mm -hmm. start with the science. It's really, what do you all love about living in this place? And everyone's mm -hmm. got reasons, right? You know, it could be the, the waterfront park. It could be, you know, the, the quality of the schools, you know, it could be, you know, good restaurant scene, you know, and, and really kind of teasing that out from people, you know, not only sort of establishes a bit of trust uh, in the process, but also, you know, empowers people to participate in the process and then sort of helps inform kind of the, the prioritization that we're going to need to do going forward about, okay, you know, we don't necessarily have enough money to solve everything. Mm -hmm. What do we prioritize? Or mm -hmm. there are some places that are going to be inundated and other places that aren't. What do we prioritize saving and what are we frankly willing to sort of let go back to the ocean at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. 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 Well, let's now dig into what we learned from that fifth national yeah. climate assessment that, like I sure. said, was released this November. Really mm -hmm. want to think about Maine too in that context, but the yeah. headlines that people might've uh, read highlighted the fact that greenhouse gas emissions from human activity, from fossil fuel combustion continue to increase um, resulting in rapid warming, um, I understand this report directly, you know, specifically emphasized, you know, climate change's direct connection to extreme weather events, these intense storms we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you detail some of your biggest takeaways, some of the biggest takeaways you want people to have from this latest summary of the climate science and climate impacts in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on on one of them, really, which was kind of the the role of climate change in sort of amplifying the impacts of a lot of these extreme events. Um, and so, you know, what, what what we're seeing in that context, whether it's drought, wildfire, heavy precip, heavy rainfall events, um, you know, thinking about um, the fact that climate change is, is here now, you know, and that it's really touching every corner of American life. Um, but I think the other piece of this, too, is that you know, those impacts aren't felt equitably across society, you know, impacts are really exacerbating a lot of longstanding social inequities across our society. And so I think that's one thing that that this National Climate Assessment mm. has done for the first time is really shine a light on that. And I think the the important counterpoint to that, or at least sort of kind of hopeful uh, kind of, yeah, reaction to that is that responding to those impacts is actually an opportunity to address those longstanding inequities, right? And so making the investments um, mm -hmm. and, and providing sort of inclusive and transparent processes for solution development, you know, you can not only create a more resilient nation, but also a more just nation. And I think that message really comes through loud and clear in this this assessment. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's powerful frame to yeah. to to see to see it through. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, I think that those, that the, those climate impacts is such an important thing that I think, you know, just, I, we've traditionally thought of climate change. I think the impacts of climate change from sea level rise, you know, like there's yeah. a lot of talk about sea level rise. And I just, you know, you look, I follow main dots, social media feed. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm kind of like, I used to work in transportation. I'm a transportation <laughs> geek. Um, but you just see the impacts of these extreme weather events on yeah. roads yeah. and, and trails, actually trails that people Ooh. love um, yeah. 
across the, the carriage, state. The carriage roads in uh, uh, Acadia National yeah, Park. Yeah, yeah. Right? seen the rainfall events there. The washouts. And yep. then, and so that all has a cost. And that was another thing the report highlighted. Mm-hmm. Also, the cost of these impacts on the American people. Ext- yeah. I think it, it um, calculated extreme weather events cost the U.S. close to $150 billion each year. Yeah. And so there's a, there, you know, there is a more, there's a moral reason to act. You talked That's about, right. there's an economic reason. To That's act exactly too. right. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think people often are like, well, it's going to, isn't it going to be expensive to do this? Well, it's expensive not to do it. And I think that's a really important message. And, and you know, th- there are some really cool new chapters in, in this assessment compared to previous ones. And, and one is is focused on the economics of climate change. And it really, you know, makes abundantly clear just the case for acting now as opposed to delaying, even though, yes, it's it's a not insignificant amount of money to invest now to to stem off the worst impacts. But if we don't invest now, the costs are going to be, you know, orders of magnitude more in the future. Right, right. Well, so you helped write the chapter on the Northeast. So I'd love to just sort of yeah. focus in, narrow in, mm-hmm. um, in on Maine and the Northeast and the climate impacts we're seeing here. So spe- mm-hmm. specifically, wow, I had yeah. a hard time getting that out. Specifically, <laughs> yeah. how is climate change impacting Maine's communities, both on the coast and inland? What are we seeing? Yeah. So, you know, Maine is is not immune from climate impacts, uh, just like the rest of the world, right? I mean, we're we're seeing rates of sea level rise in the coast that are faster than the global average. Um, we're seeing, obviously, rates of warming in the Gulf of Maine that are faster than the global average, which is having impacts on fisheries and marine ecosystems. But then, you know, you look on shore and, and we're also seeing pretty significant impacts. We're seeing um, more of our rainfall coming in these heavy precip events, and which can exacerbate the risk for uh, riverine or flash flooding. Um, we're seeing changes in kind of uh, uh, what we call phenology, so kind of the seasonal timing of, of different events because um, winters are getting shorter, spring mm-hmm. times are getting longer. That's enabling the um, spread of different uh, uh, um, public health risks such as Lyme disease, right, and the ticks yep. that cause Lyme disease. Uh, and we're also, we saw it this year too, another impact we're seeing is um you know, the transport of wildfire smoke from Canada, right? Um, and, Absolutely. And that's having a big impact or an increasing impact on public health, you know, for, for youth, you know, whether it's, you know, you can't have soccer practice outdoor in the summer anymore um, or certain, you know, times of the year, certain days uh, to kind of increasing ER admissions from asthmatics and elderly folks that, that have uh, some chronic conditions. So again, it's, it's a range of issues. I think one of the one of the impacts that really kind of came out um, uh, pretty pretty clearly in the report, though, was the the trends in in heavy precipitation, heavy mm-hmm. rainfall, and you know you don't have to look any further back than this summer and what happened in Vermont um, to see oh, just yeah. how devastating that that impact can be. Can be, yeah, for sure. Uh, one of our colleagues was just up there and was just sort of like mm-hmm. astounded um, yeah. by that. Um, by the impact. That's right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So you you alluded to this, um, mm-hmm. the warming in the Gulf of Maine. Another thing that GMRI specifically does that I have found really useful and it's gotten a lot of coverage is this yeah. annual update on the warming in the Gulf of Maine. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little more, can you give folks a little more background on that? What mm-hmm. you've seen over time, what you expect in the future? I think that's just such a valuable 
um, resource that sure. GMRI provides to the sort of dialogue here. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. And a, a credit to our, our communications team. They, they recently stood up a dedicated website, gmri.org slash warming updates, um, that has all of our both seasonal and annual updates in them. And you know, so what we do is we look at sea surface temperature from the satellite record, which goes back to basically about early 1980s, 1982, maybe. So we've got about 40 years or so of data to look at. And, you know, we see a couple of things really pop out. One is that um, the rate of warming in the Gulf of Maine is about three to four times faster than the global average. Uh, and we also see, you know, unexpected or kind of expectedly, um, you know, a lot of interannual variability, and that could be driven by any range of, of kind of factors. Um, but we also saw a pretty stark, um, we call regime change or regime, regime shift, if you will, around 2010, um, where um, there really seemed to be a change in the dominant influences in the Gulf of Maine from the broader ocean currents. And, and that to me has been a really interesting thing to kind of dig into. And it's an area of really active research of thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the relative influence of the cold kind of Arctic Labrador current versus the much warmer tropical Gulf stream. Right. Mm. And historically it's been that Labrador current you know, that has has really been the dominant role. And we're seeing sort of a an increasing influence from from the Gulf Stream in the Gulf of Maine. Mm. I I think of it, you know, as as kind of like the, the Gulf of Maine being a bathtub, right? Mm -hmm. And the Labrador current is kind of the cold faucet, and the Gulf Stream is kind of the warm faucet. And what's happening with the Labrador current is that the cold water that's coming out of there is actually getting hotter, right? Mm -hmm. The Arctic is warming so much. And we're also actually turning up the warm faucet. So more of that Gulf Stream mm. warm water is getting in here. So you kind of have this double whammy occurring. Right. But coming from both. Yeah, that's exactly. wild. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well, that's great. GMRI.org um, slash uh, warming updates, right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. great. And thanks for the plug for the website. I was going to do that <laughs> later, but now I don't have to. Um, uh, you know, as a comms person, I can appreciate that. Um, well, as we've just heard, the science can be stark. It's clear climate change is here. We're responsible for it. It's having an impact. It, it is, you know, the greatest threat facing the woods, waters, wildlife we hold dear. Um, but, you know, I think one thing leaders like you have reiterated, you just said it earlier in the podcast, the report reiterated, is that there's hope. We can avert these worst impacts of climate change on Maine communities, but we got to do it now. We got to act now. So there's that urgency to act. And part of what you've highlighted in the National Climate Assessment is all the planning that's going on now at the state and local level here in Maine. You alluded to this in the Portland Press-Herald article on this, that that. Um, Penny Overton wrote about this, um, mm -hmm. all this work that's going on to mitigate and adapt to climate change. So we've got these tools, we've got these solutions, we've got to act. And that's where we can really see that hope, individuals and communities coming together to address climate change. So David, like what's happening here in Maine and at the federal le level that gives you that hope? Yeah, well, you know, we've got a really good story to tell in the state of Maine, and it's exciting to be a part of it. You know, when when Governor Mills came into office, you know, establishing the Maine Climate Council, putting them to work right away to establish Maine won't wait, you know, mm -hmm. a state climate action plan. 
Um, that really provided everybody in the state with a framework to think about how do we tackle this issue and how do we tackle it from a mitigation standpoint? In other words, how do we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, but also how do we adapt to climate change, you know, the, the impacts that are inevitable? And what are some of the other kind of benefits or, or other types of, of uh, kind of response options they have, right? Workforce development for kind of the clean energy economy, you know, um, climate literacy for our youth to, to kind of think about data science, STEM education, that sort of stuff. All that is contained within um, Maine Won't Wait. And, you know, the, the, the council has been sort of uh, kind of reconstituted, if you will, um, or, or sort of refreshed. Um, and, and we'll see sort of a, um, a renewed uh, state climate action plan at the end of next year. So I think that's really great. And and the folks in the governor's office of policy innovation in the future, GoPIF, deserve a lot of credit for the leadership mm. they've provided. Uh, and in particular, you know, they've they've spun up this uh, what they call this Community Resilience Partnership Program or CRP. And that program has been just fantastic at catalyzing highly localized climate action through these kind of targeted, you know, 50K grants or so. Um, to think about municipal vulnerability assessments or greenhouse gas inventories or climate action planning processes. So we've got a lot of action going on, and that's just in the planning piece. Mm. On the implementation side, you know, we have programs like Efficiency Maine that are providing, you know, rebates and incentives um, for individuals, business owners, institutional actors to take ambitious climate action. So the state really is, you know, you know, living up to our motto of, of leading, right? Deer right. ago. Right? So, yeah, deer ago, yeah. Um, so it's great to see what's happening at the, at the state level. And and of course, that's that's helped out by what's happening at the federal level, right? Mm -hmm. This administration, you know, I served on the Biden-Harris transition team as a climate advisor, and it was pretty remarkable to see that, that climate change was one of the four priorities across the entire administration, including, you know, recovery from COVID, COVID, um, uh, economic recovery and addressing um, historical racial injustice. And so the fact that climate change was up there with those three other obviously huge priorities um, really said something about the political capital that this administration was going to invest in the issue. And you see that manifest in the um, Inflation Reduction Act, in the bipartisan infrastructure law. And so those two pieces of legislation in particular, to say nothing of all the regulations that um, um, have been promulgated uh, to increase efficiency and drive down emissions have really uh, infused a lot of funding uh, uh, to, to think about kind of building resilience and, and working to decarbonize our society in a cost-effective way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, we're we're big CRP uh, fan, we're fans <laughs> as well of that. Love I mean, it. it's an astounding yeah. program. Hundreds of local communities yeah. engaged. But in, in in the Climate Action Plan just celebrated its, or the Climate Council, Climate Action Plan, third, third anniversary, right? That's right, and, yeah. And they issued a progress report just this week. So go check, check that out for sure. It's mm -hmm. great to see the progress. But I think the other thing, I, I, I agree, the um the it it's such such a powerful document and it's really led to a lot of change and mm -hmm. i think with with this influx of federal funding it's also important to note like that's why plans like this are important cuz yeah. now now we can leverage those federal funds we can we can do more because right. often you have to sort of have these plans in place 
to be able to leverage these funds. And so, you know, important, not just to get our house in order here in right, Maine, right. but to be able mm -hmm. to deliver like more for people. Right. Cause that's, we can that's get exactly more money. Right. You know, and, and, you know, we, we have to be pretty clear right about this. This could be a transient moment in time. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the, the political winds in DC can change and that can really change the, the, the priority that is placed on this issue. And so the fact that we did spend the, the time to get our kind of domestic house in order in the state of Maine yeah. allowed us to kind of, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Um, and, and, you know, kudos to our, to our delegation as well for, for ensuring that those funds come back to the state. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's exactly right. Well, so, is there anything else just wrapping up here? Is there anything else, you know, you think I missed from the national climate assessment or from the latest climate science that really strikes you or that you spend a lot of time thinking about mm -hmm. that you feel like people should know just like, I don't know, maybe there isn't, but I thought yeah, I'd ask no, the question. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to characterize because the, the assessment itself is, is just so sprawling in a sense, so comprehensive, you know, to every sector and every region of the country that I just, encourage folks to just kind of poke around the website. Um, yeah. There's a, a really uh, a new tool that was released uh, in conjunction with it, uh, kind of an interactive atlas, if you will, um, that really empowers, you know, untrained users to just kind of look at different types of climate impacts and their kind of county um, uh, under different scenarios of the future. So it's, it's oh, a good, powerful tool. Um, the other, you know, one topic that, that, you know, I and, and several other folks around the region are starting to think a little bit more about is the, is this notion of climate migration and mm. managed retreat, if you will, or community driven relocation. There's a there's a number of names for it, and it takes a couple of different you know um, kind of perspectives, if you will. There's sort of the the broader scale issue of you know do the increasing numbers of extreme events, say wildfires in in Colorado and the Mountain West to California. Are, is, is that kind of driving people, you know, into um, New England and, and Maine in particular? Think about extreme heat in the Southwest. Yeah. Um, and we can use, frankly, kind of the COVID experience as a little bit of a proxy for that, right? Where people kind of left big cities and um, for kind of a, an improved quality of life, you know, that we can offer in Maine. And that yep. has, you know, both positive and negative consequences, right? Um Look what it's done to our housing sector, um, but and and you know there's some disruptions to sort of cultural identity and sense mm -hmm. of place. But there's also an infusion of of economic growth and you know new talent coming into the state. So, so I think that's one big issue. The other related kind of lens on a on a on a smaller scale is, you know, there's going to be certain neighborhoods over you know the course of this century throughout the state that are going to become uninhabitable because of, mm -hmm. of sea level rise or or, or extreme uh, precipitation related flooding, and that's going to be a really difficult conversation to to walk through. And um, you know, starting to think about that both from a um, kind of sociological and anthropological standpoint, um, but also from a policymaking standpoint, and 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 you know, to be clear, also a fiscal standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. as, as places become uninhabitable, they come off the tax maps. And what yeah. does that mean for, you know, municipal delivery of services? So these are a couple of the things that, that I've been kind of thinking about more and more. And there's a few of us across the state who are doing the same. So, um, you know, there's opportunity in that too, you know, to think about kind of climate smart development for generations to come. And, and that to me 
is a real exciting opportunity that that we could be, you know, frankly, national leaders on. Yeah, that's exciting. And look at you circling back to the hope, which was my last question. (laughs) I just wanted, I I did want to get back to this discussion about hope. And I wanted to end with you highlighting, you know, one or two stories. One is fine, two if you want. Stories Mm -hmm. of change here in Maine that have really inspired you, you know, a Mm -hmm. project or a project out there that have really impressed you Mm -hmm. um, or that have gotten you just sort of like excited for the future and the work we're doing together. Yeah, you know, the one anecdote, and I won't, I won't name the town in particular, but uh, it's a small town, you know, um, not in southern Maine. And, um, you know, I know we as an organization had hoped to, to work with them on climate related issues about five years ago. And, you know, kind of offline, the some of the select board members said, you know, what, we're just we're just not there yet, you know, and um uh, about a year, not even a year ago, you know, we we were actually kind of approached by them saying, you know what, um, the December storm last year mm. really highlighted some of the risks to our waterfront. Um, and, and, you know, we want to kind of learn more about what some of these risks are. And so to me, that kind of evolution, uh, the recognition of the inevitability of some of this and the mm-hmm. need to sort of plan um, really inspires a lot of hope that, you know, um, we could debate all day if you want, you know, the extent to which climate change is influencing one thing or another. But at the end of the day, a lot of this is inevitable, you know, mm-hmm. unless and until, you know, countries around the world can, you know, reduce emissions substantially. We're going to be dealing with the impacts for for decades, if not centuries, even millennia to come. Mm-hmm. So let's start figuring out how we can continue to thrive in in, in the place that, frankly, we love. Right. Right. I love it. Well, um, and I also love that just hopeful frame of, you know, climate change, uh, climate action being this opportunity to address systemic inequalities that our society faces too. Uh, Well, thank you so much. I hope this discussion has given our listeners not only a solid update on the science about how climate change is impacting Maine and the country, but also giving you a renewed sense of urgency to act um in whatever way works for you and and however you come to this uh because there is that hope we can do this throughout maine and groups like nrcm or gmri in their own ways are joining with mainers um to address climate change you know transition to clean energy um and you know take steps that are best informed are informed by the best science informed Mm -hmm. by what like local communities the the needs and priorities of local communities So we really hope you'll join us on that journey. And David, thanks so much for this discussion, for taking time out of your busy schedule for joining uh, to join us today. Colin, thank you. And and thanks to NRCM. Yeah, of course. Well, and a special thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, Like I said, we were on that hiatus, but we're back at it. So if you liked what you heard, please share this episode with your friends, families, coworkers, you know, random person on the street. Um, and uh, have a good holiday season. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline Frontline Voices. Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.